a bar on a cool winter's evening underneath the stars and we'll find somewhere <laughs> you've thrown me at the very beginning there travis but what an excellent fun way to start what will no doubt be an excellently fun episode of the cool room uh, i'm one of your hosts david griffiths and it's my pleasure as ever to welcome you on a thursday night into our zoom room for an online Meet the Brewers tonight with our good friends from Mr. Banks. We've got some awesome beers ready to go. We've got people still joining us in the Zoom room. Welcome everyone who is joining us live and in the flesh. Welcome everyone who's joining us on the podcast. We um, trust and hope that you're going to have an awesome time with us uh, no matter how you're tuning in. And hopefully you've already got a tasty tasting pack ready to go. Uh, if you don't already have one of those, um, you can grab one of those from our online store. And no doubt, uh, Mr. Banks beer being widely available through Melbourne and much more broadly than that around Australia, you can probably pick it up some other places as well. The four beers you're going to need tonight to maximise your experience are the West Coast IPA, the Lookout Goza, the Waffle House and the Off the Top Rope. Uh, so there's four beers there and some of them are pretty big beers, both in terms of volume and alcohol. So as we always say, we're not necessarily suggesting that you try to finish them all in the limited time that we have together tonight. If you're in the Zoom room with us, then pour yourself some tasting glasses and you can always go back and finish them off at another stage. Or if you're listening on the podcast, then feel free to pause after each of the beers that we discuss. We'll make it pretty clear when we're moving from one beer to another. And that way you, um, you won't miss out on um, enjoying every little subtle bit of the beers that we've got. Uh, there's some amazing flavours in them. And that way you, um, you get to maximise your enjoyment of them. Um, and obviously enough, if you haven't already followed us, and for that matter, Mr Banks on uh, Facebook and Instagram, go and do that kind of thing now. Share the fact that you're listening to The Cool Room. That's how our word spreads. And that means that we get more great guests like these guys uh, on the show. We're approaching 500 followers on Facebook. So that's an awesome number for us. It just means that when we go to breweries and say, would you like to be on the show? And they say, who are you? We go, well, we've got this many followers. And they're that little bit more inclined to be part of it. Um, go back and check the archives and see some of the awesome uh, teams that we've had from breweries in the past playing with us. Um, there's still some tasting back packs for the likes of Weinstefan and uh, uh, Deed still going around. So go back and check all of that out. And um, we've got a few more awesome ones coming up in future weeks. Uh, next week, we have uh, a friend of ours, Ryan, who most of people will be familiar with from his help with setting up Deep Creek and uh, other sessions that we've had recently. He's gonna go through a tasting pack of eight of his favorite beers. Uh, they're available over on the Shopify uh, now. Limited numbers of those beers, including some classics like Rogue's Dead Guy. Uh, so don't miss out on the opportunity to taste some of the world's best uh, craft beers curated by someone who genuinely understands what they're talking about when we're talking about craft beer. Um, I reckon, Travis, but that might do me for way of introduction. Welcome, Travis Bristos, on this Oh, drizzly Melbourne evening. Uh, thank you, David. Normally, up until a few weeks ago, we'd have the ceiling windows to tell us that it's raining outside at the moment, but we don't have those anymore. So uh, we have the windows behind me for those in the Zoom room. Um, we are going to have an awesome night tonight, guys. Hopefully, everyone's cracked open the West Coast IPA. Uh, welcome to Morgan and Tyson from Mr. Banks. 
How are you, gentlemen? Good, thanks, Travis. Thanks for having us. Going well. Marvellous. Um, let's start this chat off. Before we get to the actual beer, let's start by having a bit of a, a talk about where you guys are based. Um, paint us a picture because we need more arts in Melbourne at the moment. Um, <laughs> paint us a picture as to where you guys are for our overseas listeners and uh, those that aren't in the Zoom room tonight. Um, yeah, cool. Uh, Tice, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll field this I'll one. Go for it. <laughs> Uh, so we're, we're Melbourne-based, or well, I shouldn't say that. We're in Frankston, or Seaford, Frankston specifically, which is about an hour south of Melbourne, just a, and just above the Mornington Peninsula. Um, for all you Victorian or Melbourne people, you would know now where we are in Frankston's more like some sort of dystopian-style prison, much the same as like, I don't know, picture like Escape from New York, and Tice is Kurt Russell. That's kind of where we are, and that's, that's the brewery sense right now. So it's, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it look no, we um, it's just above the Morning Peninsula, little tap room there, uh, well, big biggish tap room now, uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's Mr. Banks, you know, urban prison, urban Kurt prison. Russell. I like urban that. prison. I like that. That could be the name of a beer if you, you know, when we get out of lockdown and when we're back to a normal thing, you could release a beer called Urban Prison. I think it would sell pretty well. Mm. Actually, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, w- tell us. Uh, you know, what, what year did the brewery start? How did you guys get your start in this world? Um, we started in 2016. Uh, so I, I jumped in, a, oh God, I jumped in in 2017. Uh, Tyson, when did you join? Uh, two years ago, so 2018. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, our founder who couldn't make it tonight, unfortunately, Chris, Chris Farmer and Penny Farmer, um, there was, they started in 2016. He was just a bit of a one-man band. So had a bit of dairy equipment, which he was brewing on, um, just cranking out very, very small batches, only a couple of fermenters and uh, yeah, on pretty, pretty uh, manual, manual equipment. I don't think, Tice, you, uh, you didn't have the unpleasure of, uh, unpleasure, that's a word, um, <laughs> of having to brew on that system. Um, but yeah, he was doing that, repping it, uh, selling it, brewing it, packing it, all of it. Uh, and then I came on, I joined from Hawkers. I was at Hawkers for a couple of years uh, before and before that at CUB and before that at Mornington Peninsula Brewery. Uh, and then I jumped in with with Chris. I was the first full-time employee and yeah, three, I'm now three years as of last week and it's been a hell of a ride. And um, dare I say a few comments tonight will probably get me punished next week for, for this, but uh, yeah. Oh, we, like that. <laughs> uh, we can we can edit out some of that stuff, Morgan, it's fine. <laughs> The beauty of podcasts, edit it all um, out. Just let it all out. That's it. And, and Tyson, how about yourself, mate? Where did, where did you get your start in this, this beer world? Obviously, you mentioned when you joined Mr. Banks. Um, yep. Where did you come from? So before Mr. Banks, I was just a measly home brewer um, and working as an engineer at the time. But took a trip to Vermont and had four weeks there drinking epic, hazy beer and came back to Melbourne and thought, yeah, I need to get into this. So tried everything I could to get into the um, industry and Chris kind of took a chance on me. And yeah, two years later, I'm still there, which is great. That's, that's quite amazing. We, we have quite a few listeners that have this idea that how cool would it be to open a brewery or work in a brewery? And you've just basically said you went from being an engineer and beer drinker to working in a brewery. That's, mm. that's less steps than most people that we've had in the ballroom, <laughs> I think. Yeah, Definitely. Wasn't it great? Um, sorry, Tice, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, I, I was home brewing previously, so I had about six years of just tinkering on the, you know, on the all grain three vessel system. But um, yeah, kind of jumped straight in, and at Mr. Banks, we're kind of, you know, 
doing a bit of everything. So packaging, brewing, um, delivery driving if we need to. So it was a, a great way to be introduced to the industry to kind of, you know, experience it all, not just have to uh, work my way up from the cake washer and all that. So <laughs> yeah. that was great. Awesome. Um, for those in the Zoom room tonight, we've just had Warren Wu join us into the room and someone won the prize at 6.45 on when he would join. So um, for Tyson and Morgan, we always put bets on uh, what time Warren will make it into the room. Uh, tonight, um, I haven't even got onto the beer yet and he's already in the room, which is really <laughs> unusual. Like Normally he arrives just as I'm finishing talking about the first beer. So uh, good job, Warren, and welcome. Yeah. And and um and congratulations, Luke and Kim, who've apparently won tonight's tonight's. They look very excited. I don't know what they've won, but have they won anything? No, they haven't won anything. Uh, they get to sit around in the cool room for the rest of the night and drink really good beer. So that's a win, I reckon. Um, let's move on to talking about the actual beer. Um, everyone should have their West Coast IPA open by now and are uh, drinking. Um, let's start. Uh, tell us a bit about what flavors we should be experiencing in this give us a bit of a brief on the beer Tyson. i'll let you take this one you're the you know the tech you have the technical knowledge yeah sure so um i don't know this one we kind of make with the idea of having a quite a crisp clean malt backbone so not much to it there just kind of um half peels half kind of two row type type base so yeah not much going on there but it, it leaves a good backing for all the, the hops, the um, American-style hops and uh, one Australian galaxy hop in there as well. So, um, yeah, it's got a little bit of that grassiness from the galaxy and then mostly, most of the flavour comes from that citra. So a lot of tropical, um, well, the citra hops very, you know, familiar to us at Mr. Banks. So that, that uh, yeah, classic tropical um fruitiness and then a bit of mosaic in there to give it a little depth but yeah overall kind of trying to meld those flavors together so it's not not really one out competing the other yeah nice just um, if i can sorry to cut in yeah, no, go for it man yep. it, it, as an early preface to this whole thing uh with just about citra hops which, which ty's touched on um so chris who's our owner head brewer if he could ever ha leave his wife it would be for the citra hops he would have there <laughs> and take off and i cannot tell you how much citra is in everything we do we just absolutely live for that that particular hop um and, and it, it, it it's pre very present in this one and it's pretty prevalent in off the top right which we'll get to a little bit later um but yeah this west coast ipa absolutely love this beer uh i have plenty of notes on it perfect um give us a bit of like this is one of your core range beers now yeah it is, and has been for about about two years. So we we've always had a at an IPA in the range, even early days, um, we, when we when we first started out. But this West Coast IPA, we actually launched it at um, the IPA off the terminus about two years ago, and Chris yeah. and I were up there with the jockey box pouring beers, just going, "This is our West Coast IPA." When we were very very little, um, as opposed yeah. to now when we're only little, um, and. It's, it's one of those beers, it's actually our highest selling core beer by, by some margin. It outsells our pale ale, um, which I don't know if there's a, that's the same for a lot of other breweries, but um, in my previous experience, it's very unusual. Um, but it, it's just such a sessionable, approachable beer that I find from a, from a non-technical perspective. It's, it's got that nice, like Ty said, it's got that nice tropical element. It's got a nice bit of pineiness and dankness to it. 
touch of bitterness. It's a really approachable 6.2%. So it's not going to knock your head off. Um, it's just a really nice IPA. Yeah. Yep. Um, very, very smashable. Uh, we had someone in the Zoom room say you could, you could stay on this all night, um, which I couldn't agree more with. Um, and for those in the Zoom room tonight, make sure you add your questions in. And that's the thing about being in the Zoom room. You get to ask your questions directly to the, to the guys and um, we'll ask away or at the end of the night, you might get a chance to ask yourself, which is always fun. Um, where, what's your favorite, you know, I mean, you guys have got this West Coast IPA, which is super smashable. Is this related to something in relation to another West Coast IPA? Where did the idea come from? Um, I mean, we, this, I mean, this is a core beer. I mean, we've always wanted to have a, I say core. I mean, we've always wanted to have a, I guess core is the right word. We've always wanted to have a regular all round year, all round, all year round IPA. Um, and I think, you know, we, we landed on having a West Coast IPA. And we, we had, I mean, at the time it was probably the prominent style that people expected from an IPA, but also it's probably the most approachable. So I don't think, you know, we talked about, previously about putting in oh, do we have a core range hazy ipa and there's definitely ipas that we've released as limited releases um before in the past but oh, could we make this our regular ipa but i just think there's merit to having just a nice clean you know west coast ipa which is what we're all used to and we all love yep. you know I, I mean you just said before oh man i could sit all night on this i have many times and i probably <laughs> will continue to on many other occasions it's just a really nice approachable west coast ipa Go for it, Tyson. I feel like you're about to add something there. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, it, at, like trying to compare it to a previous beer, it's more like we've, um, I guess, kind of taken the modern approach on the, the typical West Coast. So we do, obviously, as people are tasting it, can probably pick up on the, you know, the low level of bitterness and the high aromatics, um, as well as the, you know, the the low malt backbone to it. So we've kind of, I guess, Chris probably took inspiration from those American styles, the ones that we, you know, were drinking five years ago and kind of it continues to evolve as well as we um, put out more, more hazy type beers. We kind of start to like that low bitterness and a bit more aromatics and it's kind of translated into this West Coast that's kind of, yeah, low on bitterness but high drinkability. So, yeah. And that that sort of brings us to an interesting point and I'll, I'll bring this up now, even though I could be stealing someone else's question. Oh, so Morgan and Tyson, it seems that sometimes every now and again, me kicking off the first beer, I'll steal Warren's question. I don't think I am tonight. Um, what, what are your thoughts on hazies? Do we, you know, do we see them evolve now or do we see them to completely stay the same or go away? Where do you guys sit on that? Um, I mean, I think they're a part of the market completely. I mean, it's something we've been working with now. I, I remember I, just as a, this is a weird tidbit. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just slot it in. When I had my sort of job interview ish with Chris, um, or when I, when we met and hung, hung out to talk, sort of talk about what things would be like, we had a glass of Weezer juice, which he homebrewed or not homebrewed, but he brewed a test batch on his, on the test system we had. This is going back three years ago. And we were like, and we talked about how that was going to be. This is, you know, this Weezer juice, which was a New England IPA and like how important this style and what we think this will evolve to. And that was 
three years ago, which I remember there was not really many on the market. There was, I can't, I can only really think of like, I think Deeds had Juice Train or they actually might've not even had it at that stage, but they, they didn't exist. And, and I remember about a year later, I was away in the States and everyone had a West Coast IPA, but everyone had a New England IPA or a Hazy IPA. It's just a standard IPA on their taps at any brewery I went to. And so I think there it's always been in the US where we tend to follow a lot of styles, which we all know pretty well. Um, it's just a part of the market. And I think now we're established, it is an established part of the market. And I think there was definitely market leaders, but I think a lot of people, like all the breweries are starting to catch up and understand the style and, and be able to make it at a really high quality, which, you know, six, 12, 18 months ago, we probably not the whole market was. And so I, I don't see it going backwards. I mean, certainly maybe they won't become the most prominent beer they are now. I mean, surely, sure. I'm sorry, sure that other things will emerge or other trends will emerge. But as it stands right now, I think, what we're seeing is this is now a part of beer drinking is that there will be hazy IPAs. They're approachable. They're soft. They're juicy. You can get through them really, really quickly. But even now we're seeing West coast IPAs sort of start to make a bit of a comeback because hazies are sort of oversaturated, but I don't think we're going to see them go away. I think we're just going to see a constant evolution and, and just the quality and standard of them continue to approve here in our market. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Sorry. And we're going to evolve our way through the beers tonight. Uh, we had a question in the zoom room from daniel he said in the boom of west coast ipas in australia what led you guys to having lower bitterness compared to heaps of other brewers who tried to go more bitter um who sometimes go crazy with it um gee, that's an interesting question um i think it's just sort of been our style as i said you know we, we we've always made tried to make hazy ipas or you know, i feel like i'm not answering this question probably but i'm going to roll with what i'm saying anyway um we've just tried to make really well balanced beers or beers that we like uh and, and things that are a little bit softer and more approachable so i mean certainly we still have made beers that have you know got a bit of bitterness there like, you know west coast double ipas and west coast ipas but it's just more our style uh to make something that's a little bit softer and bitterness you know the balance is probably a little bit different to what you would you might get from other brewers but uh, you know i think that's important for the market to have points of difference uh and, and that's what we try to be a part of not specifically to be different but we make them the way we think that they you know that we think our consumers and what we would like Tyus, i don't know what you think about that yeah definitely um Definitely when we're, you know, tasting the beer out of tank, Chris's um, kind of personal taste tends towards the lower bitterness, more fruity characteristics in IPAs. And luckily people also enjoy that as well. So um, it's kind of just, yeah, just rolled on with that. So people have picked up on that, commented on it, and it's kind of, yeah, really complimented our um, brewing because then we can kind of push further. So that that leading into kind of like our cake eater series and stuff like that that's super soft and well on bitterness but um yeah we did, we did have someone in the zoom room say you should make the cake eater part of the core range as well which <laughs> i thought was oh uh, yeah that's a great idea um we also had uh, someone else in the zoom room say that uh, will we ever see the return of your uh, original bank's double ipa no there you go. I think you got your answer, mate. <laughs> so, I, uh, I, Crofty, I am very sorry. I, I do remember that double IPA. I wasn't working at Banks when, when Chris actually made that. Um, 
I remember that being an absolute lights out double IPA. That thing was bananas. It was so yep. good. It was bitter. It had this great malt backbone. It was hoppy. It was resinous. And I, I think that I, certainly I remember, I remember my favorite beer for a long time was Hawker's double IPA. And I, as I worked there when we first released that and I just drank that thing, like you wouldn't believe. And it was probably similar. It was similar to the Banks double IPA. And then I remember about six months, six months after working at Banks and Weezer Juice and Hazy's coming in, I drank Hawker's double IPA again. And I thought I was drinking a bag of pepper. <laughs> it was just so insane. I know it was still really good. I just got just the, the softness was so different. Like what I was used to from drinking all these hazy beers. And then I had this West Coast IPA and it just blew my head off. But um, yeah, I, I guess the same thing with that. I think things have evolved and I guarantee you that beer doesn't taste as good as it did back, back then. I reckon if we brought it out the same. Also, it was brewed in a dairy kit, not an actual brewery. Uh, it wouldn't be quite the same. So sorry, Crofty. Uh, uh, Crofty shrugging his shoulders and... I think on that, we might uh, move on to our next beer, uh, which is going to be led by Mr. Warren Wu. So he made it into the room in plenty of time, which is... It's remarkable. Which is usually... No, that's usually the case. You guys can can just go eat some boiled eggs. Uh, oh, strong words. <laughs> yeah, I just, you, you can go help Crofty find a rope in his garage. I do like yeah. how Crofty turned his camera off then when he was. I didn't. Yeah, that's I, hope it. I, I hope I haven't broken his heart. <laughs> um, yeah. And by so the way, man. like Beyond Blue, their number yeah, is easily found. I'm so just gonna make a bit of this call. Just. We, yeah. Oh, nasty! Thank God we can edit that out. That we can. <laughs> um. So so Goza, how do you guys say Goza? I believe it's pronounced Jose. It's a soft G. <laughs> <laughs> That's about the only version we haven't had over the podcast. That's so. time for everything. So your your we've got your we've got your or hopefully everyone's got your Jose here, um, and and so part of the core range or about to become part of the core range is that the is that the deals. Uh, yes. So people probably would know our mango sour, which was, um, started off as a limited release and then became a, uh, a core range beer. Uh, we were going to put it in a printed can pre winter and then we, or oh, just a bit before winter and then sort of decided, Oh, it's probably not a good idea coming into summer. Kept it rolling a little bit, but then decided we wanted to change up our sour range. We just kind of feel with, especially our brand and what we make and what we do, it's good to keep things changing and rotating and and, and 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 keep new things in the range so we thought maybe it's time to change up the sour sour offering and we sort of landed on we we talked about doing a raspberry goza we talked about a few different options but we landed on peach because we you know i guess there's not many peach gozas or peach beers well there, there's a few out there but not 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 a lot and we liked peach and we thought that we could make this really nice like you know fruity uh, you know nice sort of salty and just this really nice approachable sour crushable beer and that's kind of what the lookout was meant to be so right now we've rolled into, into trade and the plan is we're going to see how it goes over the next four to six weeks and if people hate it so you people if you hate it uh we'll bring mango back and we'll get rid of lookout peach goza um oh, i will yeah. tell you well, let's you know give us a, a thumbs up or a little message in the messaging uh box mm. on the chat to and we'll get the feedback as we go along actually that'd be glorious and I heard there's there's going to be substandard uh, Northern Territory mangoes available soon. So, boom, nice. There we go. We can <laughs> we'll bring it back. If the peach does 
does lose its place than than uh, ready-made alternative. Um, so, so why why now putting a gozer on? What what how how a gozer in your core range? I don't know. I suppose there's a little bit there's a little bit of interest. What what made you decide that now? Um, I mean, we're coming into summer, uh, coming yeah. into the warmer months. So you, you do need to, uh, certainly the market has evolved to the point where I think se- like, like hazies, um, sour beers are just a part of the craft market or the beer market, maybe just the craft market, I think. Um, and so we, we needed to bring one back and we were talking about doing the, the mango sour, which is very popular, but we just thought, again, it was just about changing it up. So it's, it's timing in terms of we're coming into the time where sour beers just become, you know, that that's when people want to drink sour beers is, is warm weather. I mean, I have so many sour beers that have piled up in my fridge over winter that I've been buying and just not, <laughs> not drinking. Cause I just never feel like them, but you know, 25 degrees or 30 degrees on a hot day, you just want to drink something sour and easy to drink. So that was the, the timing decision. I mean, I think someone said in the chat about uh, don't delete mango. Mango is not going at all. We will bring it back. It'll come back at some stage, but, you know, Lookout's not maybe not necessarily a core beer, but it's going to be a summer seasonal beer. Let's just say that. Um, who? So, mango's not going away. Who makes? How? How do you make the decision? I suppose who makes the decision about about core range and how things come in? Is it is it totally a seasonal thing? Because it doesn't necessarily like Mr. Banks feels like sometimes I'll brew a beer just because I feel like brewing a beer. Yeah, we play it pretty fast and loose. Um, yeah. We, uh, no. Well, look, it, it is about sometimes timing uh, and scheduling. We're a pretty small small brewery, which Tice can definitely attest to. It's a very small operation we run. Um, but, you know, we, we, the decision of Corby is, it kind of comes down to, we, it's a collaborative effort. So, you know, we, we sort of sit down and talk about, okay, so, well, we know this is going to work over this time of year. So, you know, I mean, I find sours they start to really drop off in sales around April is the time where dark beers, people just kind of sick of sales and what, you know, a dark beers back in trade. And we know that. And every year we always stuff up the timing. <laughs> I don't know, you know, even with all the research we have and all that we know, and then around sort of September, you know, probably mid August, September, early September, you know, dark beers just sort of really start to drop off in sales. So it's about timing. And yeah, I mean, there is sometimes we just make a beer because we want to make a beer, but we try and time it up. But we also try to time things so they're fresh. We don't try and we try and make sure things aren't running concurrently. So we try not to jam too much into the range. We want to make sure everything we're offering, especially in sales is, is you know, I, I can't tell you, I remember the time, the amount of conversations I've had with Chris where, you know, the, the West Coast IPA has been sitting in the cool... There's about 20 cases sitting in the cool room and it's been there three and a half weeks and we're freaking out. We're like, oh, it's going to get fucking old. Oh, God, we got to get rid of this thing. We just... In reality, it's nothing to panic about, but we just like to keep things fresh. So it, it kind of does depend on demand and in terms of just what we've got available and freshness. Um, a question there might not necessarily be a, an airtight answer on. How do you decide how much salt you put in? Oh, Tice, this is all you. I think it would be. Um, oh, it's a tough question. We've, so we've done a, a couple of gozers over the past, well, two years, really. Um, and I think the Hawaii five goza was, was quite um, popular at the time, two years ago. And we've kind of based our salt additions on that. Um, and then similarly, it's just kind of, Gauging the market when we're at festivals, 
Um, usually at the start of this year, we had a, a fruited gozer out um, and kind of just, you know, checking in on what people think of the, the salt levels and how we think of it um, out of tank and on canning day. And you pretty much just, yeah, discussions between each other. And if we want some more, we think it needs a little bit more than, um, for example, on this next round of peach hat, oh, sorry, of um, lookout, we've um, added just a touch more salt just because of how we, yeah, how we thought the, how, how we thought it would um, finish. Um, and of course, from a few few people commenting and saying, yeah, it's a, it's great, but a little bit more saltiness would, wouldn't go astray. And you kind of take that back to Chris Morgs and Taylor, our other brewer, and see what they think. And yeah, pretty much how we deal with most of our recipe recipe tweaks. Uh, Trent's just asked a question, Tyson. This one's probably for you too. Um, you guys come up with some amazing combinations of beers. Question stealer, you're a question stealer, Warren. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> do you do you prototype them? Do you do small batch runs? I suppose. Honestly, uh, I thought you were stealing. That's another huge stolen two in one. Yeah, how good was that? <laughs> <laughs> no, Trent He's stole Warren. it technically. Um, no, it's other and, and of the cool room right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a little bit of Archie Uh and this is a funny one because no one's got a pilot system we're quickly discovering. Unless yeah. you're the size of Sierra Nevada, no one does. They just yeah, yeah. Kind of smash it. So there's just, there's just not enough time for a pilot system anymore, really. It's, um, you know, a day spent doing something else when we could be, you know, we've got small fermenters, so um, 1,200 litre or 1,000 1, litre tanks that we can kind of run a pilot batch on. But I think... At this point, Chris is um, is pretty. Oh, we're all pretty confident that if he brings up a recipe, um, we can all, you know, have a discussion around it, and um, well, by the time it's coming out of tank, we'll be have a pretty good understanding of what it will taste like in a way. Mm. So, um, yeah, we we do kind of in a sense pilot these beers, like some of the hoppier beers maybe a year and a half ago we would have put into a small tank just to see the see how they come out and see the reception but yeah no 50 liter uh batches at the moment now to to add on to what you just said ty so for people that might have seen like west coast fog or blurred lines uh which were two releases in the last um couple of months that's essentially test batch more i shouldn't say test batch but more or less that's basically the test batching more was kind of like uh, what our taproom series was, which is pre-COVID times before the urbanized prison we live in now. Um, we would release those into kegs. So there'd be keg batches and we'd keep most of the taproom and run them through the taproom and then, and then offer a few out to some partner venues that we work with and go, hey, look, we've got this new product or this new beer that we're working with. Do you want to, yeah, if you'd like it, we've got it. Um, but obviously now we're putting it to cans. So, you know, Blurred Lines was one that we really loved. Um, you know, it was, it, again, we plan to then scale that up into a larger release. Um, so, you know, we kind of do a bit of test batching, but as Ty said, not really, there's no time. And also, you know, we're pretty confident now we've early days there was, but we're pretty confident now that we understand what we do and, and how it works and, and what will come out. So, I mean, the test batching is, it might be sort of testing the waters with a new yeast or something like that, or trialing a new hop, but that's about as you know complex as we'll get. But, you know, I can tell you with without with complete confidence and Tyce, yeah, we you've you've been there where we've had if something we're not if we're not happy with a beer, we've uh, we've just dumped it down the drain. Well 
safely. It's, you know, we've treated it and then gotten rid of it. We don't release anything that we're not happy with. We've always sort of said in the podcast, you know, that's something we really respect, but it must be the hardest decision. I don't, we don't want to know specific beers, but, yeah. you know, what's it like to have to sit around in a room and go, yeah, it's not what it's supposed to be and, um, you know, we, we can't let it out. That's rough. Yeah, disappointing. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's beer that basically, you know, it's a lot of the time, honestly, it, they're generally sometimes beers that aren't that bad. I'm like, oh, guys, this is fine. And then Tice, Taylor and Chris will be like, you're an idiot. Tastes like cheese. And um, we're, dump- we're dumping it. <laughs> so we've had other brewers on who've released beers that weren't what they were supposed to be, but they liked how it tasted in the end and went, well, it's not what the original plan was, but yep. we like it. Oh you man! Guys, I, and I guess you know. You know well, you'd, 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 you'd be happy if there's a beer like that go out. I'm curious um, on the cheese beer thing, man. Like, <laughs> tastes I'm like not, cheese. I'm revolted by the cheese. I mean, it, even tastes like cheese is a good name for a beer. <laughs> I I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, on that question, I as, as long if the end product is is tasty and drinkable and you know, you, you know that your customer base will enjoy it, then yeah, yeah I think that's fine. It's um, it's, even if it doesn't come out as planned, um, but when it isn't drinkable or to our palates um, drinkable and not not really deserving of, um, you know, something that we're not proud of, then yeah, unfortunately we can't. It has to go down the drain, which is very um heartbreaking to see after, yeah. you know. Sometimes we'll leave them there for two weeks and try and hope that they clear up and, uh, yeah. But, yeah. And Chris, is, to be fair, Chris is entirely, yeah, he's a bit of a lunatic and just like, he'll, you know, he'll sit there and stew over it for days and he's like, nah, I can't release it, I'm not doing it. And, you know, which I think is a part of what has, what makes, you know, the beer so good is that, you know, he, Chris is the owner operator and he obsesses over the fact that if something's not to what we, what we planned or what we like, it's just not going to go out. I mean, I, I like you said, Dave, um, about you know some beers not going to plan and then tasting still really good. I can't think of an occasion where that's happened to us, but then we haven't dumped a whole lot down the drain anyway, so it's not like it's a regular occurrence. It, but it has happened, and it's still disappointing. You obviously don't use molasses much, as a <laughs> no, 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 not in our, not in our brewery. But uh, again, that's a that's a, that's a nice question. Not recall the uh, the conversation we had a month or two ago about one of those beers. Yes. Um, hey Morgan, how do you go selling beers with slightly lower ABV like this? This is just a tick under one standard, so 0.9. And I really love that. Like if I'm if I just need a quick drink, I kind of I I I will definitely grab a sour, which is that one standard drink mark. Mm. Does that do you find that that translates into into pre consistent sales or something like this? Um, I mean. It's a loaded question. It's a, <laughs> it is a bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, there's a larger answer uh, in terms of you know who we sell to and what we're trying to do and, and, and who we approach, but not not I don't have a particular difficulty trying to sell this this beer uh, in terms of the fact that you know at, at, when you first release something, it comes out essentially as a new product, so that always boosts sales of anything when anything's new. Um, but right now, as I said earlier. Um, 
Sowerbees are a, a part of a part of the market now, and especially in the craft market. So the expectation is, and you'll find a lot of breweries that have a core, you know, have a, have their core range. Often have, like you look at like Wayward, who have their raspberry raspberry uh, Berliner Weiss, or um, Hop Nation, who have the, the Punch Mango Mango Goza. You know, th- those are a part of the range, and the reason they are is because those particular products sell, and Mango did sell very well. So there is a huge market for it. So it's not particularly difficult. It's you know, it depends on where you're going and who you're approaching. So if I'm going to, uh, let's just say, Grape and Grain, I'm like, hey, I've got this new Core Sour beer. They're like, yep, cool, we're on board. If I'm going to, you know, Celebrations, Frankston, or uh, there is no Celebrations in Frankston, but let's say Celebrations, uh, some of all. Uh, actually, bad example, he'll take it as well. But like, let's just say a very random store that is the Celebrations or, or the Bottle-O, um, you know, how you approach that, it's more about like, you know, that's a bit different. That's where it becomes a challenge in terms of like, oh, well, this, this, is, this is a sour fruited beer. Not all places are on board with that. Most are now. Um, but, you know, we don't, like the, most of the customers we have now are pretty educated on what we do and, 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 and what the products are. So I guess early days, it's probably hard. But um, right now, no, not particularly difficult or, or not approachable. It's just people understand, it, especially retailers, good ones understand what the products are and, you know, if they bring it in, they know they have a market for it, or at least they'll bring it in once and test it out. If it doesn't work, they'll get rid of it. And trust me, I've had this conversation many times. We're like, oh no, Goza doesn't sell here, but Mango Sour does. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's the same thing, but you know. And the low ABV things kind of um, coming coming around a little bit at the moment. So yeah, and sour beers tend to be lower in ABV as well. Mm. So you know. I'd like to think that Morgan, but yeah, when you you go in go into the bottle shops now, and they're all I don't know because they're all kettle sour, they're all they're not all, but a lot of them are still one and a half standards for for like a three thirty mil can. Um, yeah, um, yeah, true, but I, I, it, just trying to I mean, it's I think for us, we've always. You know, I think mango sour was 3.8. This is a little bit lower, but we did that intentionally because, and, and like you just said, Tice, you know, lower ABVs are, ABV beers are sort of becoming a little bit more, you know, people kind of want that a little bit more sessionable, sessionable product. Um, you know, I, and I think with fruited sours, the expect, I mean, based on my experience, the expectation isn't, you're not looking for a 5.5 or a 6% beer. You want, which is probably flies in the flag, flies the flag in the face of the last beer we have tonight. But um uh, generally for just a fruited kettle sour that's your everyday drinker you don't want something that's really high abv you want something low you know that's low abv fruity approachable easy to drink and that's kind of what lookout is do we see uh craft breweries changing the way that uh they do you know we're talking about lower alcohol content beers we live in a world now especially in melbourne where you know if you want to catch up with mates on the weekend you have to go to a park is, is there something about COVID that's going to shift that balance between, you know, that low alcohol content factor? People are going to start brewing low alcohol content beers just based on the culture of the time. Is that going to be a bit of a thing or? Um, I, I'm not sure if COVID will push us there. Uh, I think we're kind of already getting there a little bit. I mean, I, there's so many, I mean, from a sales perspective, the thing that really people get excited about is double IPAs, triple IPAs, anything really high ABV. And, and I think that's because you, you love these flavor bombs and these big, you know, these big beers. But, you know, the session, like personally, I drink a lot of like session beers. I like to drink 
the, my favorite beer we've ever brewed is uh, Little Citra Fields, which is a 6.6% oat cream IPA. And it was because it, it was still 66 so It's still quite high, <laughs> more or less. But it, I could drink two or three cans of that and not have to, you know, and not be completely written off. Uh, I could have other beers or a glass of wine or a gin, whatever you fancy. Um, but I think low ABVs and more approachable beers is kind of where it's at. I mean, I know Chris, make, Chris our head brewer, Tyson, you will definitely attest to this. He drinks our lager, Lager Life. Uh, it's the Municalis. It's 5.1, but we've talked about lowering the ABV and we're talking, you know, more sessionable and approachable beers is kind of, I think it's sort of the natural part of the market coming back. I don't think it's, this is not going to kill off double IPAs, but I, I think we're just sort of getting too, we're kind of moving too much in one direction. I think there's still a massive part of that. And I think that the market's just balancing itself out. I don't think it's necessarily these are going to take over low, low alcohol beers, but I think it, it's a part of balance for the market. It's, that's sort of my view on it at the very least. Yeah, I, 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 like, I think you've got a point though with the um, low ABVs. When I've been going to the park lately, you know, reach for some like the mid-strength uh, Deeds beer, take a six pack of that and it's, mm. it's it, it extends the session and, you know, yeah. Everyone's having a good time. But, We've um, had a few people uh, pull me up on that question saying you only have two hours in the park. And I'm like, oh, no. are we all abiding by the two hour rule in the park at the moment? I'm, of course. I'm <laughs> 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 um, yeah. Out of interest, what type of salt do you, do you put in? Your- I was going to ask this question, Warren. Thank you for asking. Oh, man, this is just a night of stealing people's questions. <laughs> on the no, no, it's not written down. That was, um, it wasn't written down. Like, it's like, it's the question that I've kind of, I've thought in the past and you just think, well, it was really nice to hear. Uh, so apparently, um, is it Blackman? Yeah, apparently Blackman's use seawater, which I think is pretty, I think that's pretty cool. Really and, cool. Yeah, you know, that's that's pretty funky. Um, I'm not ex- expecting, like, Fleur de Sal or, or, I don't know, Murray River Pink Salt. Yeah, yeah, that, I'm thinking of... I, I, yeah, it's, it could be anything, wouldn't it? As a matter of fact, the, the, the more industrial, the better, I suppose. Well, yeah. To be honest, I'm not really sure whether there's much difference between salts um, <laughs> if you are looking at just getting... Oh, oh. You've never been on the so- you've never been on that mess before, <laughs> then have you? No, no, I kind of try and stay away from those ones. But um, yeah, we for for our gozers, we use pink Himalayan sea salt, um, but that's just available, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't think there's much more for thought put into it than that, but maybe there is. It's not the old black and gold. You've uh, you've made, you've made a choice there. There was. Uh, Classy stuff. I visited a I visited a champagne house once, and I got to go to the back of house, and the dosage they put in. So that's the little bit of a uh, little bit of a sugar kick before before they uh, to get the bubbles in the bottle of champagne. It's it was like the equivalent of of black and gold. Like there were just <laughs> enormous sacks of just plain old ordinary, you know, household white sugar. Um, so yeah, you know, if you go. Do that with champagne, then. Yeah, Himalayan, yeah, Himalayan pink salt. Ooh. Uh, no, I just saw someone in the in the in the comments thread say pink pink is good wank factor. <laughs> yeah. You got us. Yeah, that's right. That's why we got yeah, the pink Himalayan salt. <laughs> you guys do it for glo- it's. 
Does it say it on the back of your can? I'm now, I should have just yeah. looked at the back of your can. I can't uh, read what's on the back of the can. It could say anything at all. I'm over the age of 25. Does anyone over the age of 25 you know, have the capacity to <laughs> Um, because I paused the recording and it didn't kick in until just now. <laughs> so we need to do a clap again and start that again. Well, welcome back, everyone. Hopefully everyone has the Waffle House and the Off the Top Rope ready and in their hands. And um, the best thing about just coming back in now is that you missed the most excruciating Conwood conversation uh, that, thankfully, no one else ever has to live through again. Um, Guys, this is an amazing smelling beer, even when I just open the can and the coffee starts to waft out. Um, lots of questions we've already had in the, in the Zoom chat about the techniques that make complex beers like this, which we'll get onto in a second. But how would you guys like people to experience this beer? What should they pour it into if they're drinking it out of a glass? And I presume that's how you'd like people to be tasting it the first time around. Yeah, sure. So um, obviously the first thing, well, the first thing that hits hits me when opening this can is the coffee. So we get this coffee from Prodigal Roasters. Um, make some fantastic coffee. We've used it before in uh, our Imperial Pastry Stout Relax on a regular hit. Um, we went for a different variety this time, but um, yeah, it, that's obviously the first kind of note that you comes across. Um, glassware, I mean, I'm, I've got a wine glass right now to kind of get a lot of that aroma coming out and be able to swirl it around, but, you know, it's, we're hope, hopefully we've kind of got enough vanilla and coffee in there that should be, should be right from any type of glass, really. Um, hopefully that's coming across because that's our intention. <laughs> but, um, also, yeah, a little bit of vanilla. So, um, yeah, typical to our kind of fruited sours, or our higher ABV fruited sours, we've got uh, lactose and vanilla added for mouthfeel and a little bit of flavour addition as well. So, yeah, that's pretty much rounding out the first sip, I guess, until you want to dive further into the beer as it goes along. Yeah, please do. I mean, it just changes as the more as you sip out, as I presume it warms up, it'll change a bit mm, more. Yeah, for sure. Like... Um, the blueberry edition as well kind of melded nicely. It was, for, for me, I, I thought pretty surprising because I, I've heard of blueberry and um, tasted blueberry beers that are not quite as fruity, um, kind of a li little bit more earthy. And I was, we were kind of, I was kind of worried that it would not play that well with um, the other components, but it's melded very nicely, I think. So, yeah, it's, um, been one of my favourite staffy cans to take home as of late, for sure. There's a whole series of great questions in the in the Zoom room. Um, I want to get to the whole technique that brings this beer together in a minute, but one that I think is a ripper from Alan Lamb is, you know, why a sour instead of a stout, you know, for the for this beer? And that was very much on my mind where I saw it written on the can in very small writing, I must say. I can tell you now, when I did the pre-sale email for this, every, uh, not everyone, but there was a significant amount of people that replied with, yep, give me the blueberry stout. Like, yeah. I, I got, no one really anticipated it was a, it was a pastry sour, which is, 
this is the second one we've done. So the first one being um, uh, Just Here for the Pie, uh, which was a cherry pie sour. Um, yeah, we, we, we had done, we had made a, a Imperial Stout with coffee, Imperial Pastry Stout with coffee before, but we really wanted to sort of, I guess, kind of challenge ourselves a little bit in some ways, but also we kind of wanted to keep doing coffee beers and hadn't really stepped into that. We, well, we had stepped into the sour pastry um, element of brewing, but not necessarily use coffee yet. And that was kind of a part of what we wanted to do. And Chris had a bit of a vision in terms of making, he had talked about this blueberry coffee sour for ages. I don't know where he, that had developed in his brain. I'm, I'm sure it came from somewhere. Um, so that was kind of the reasoning behind it is that, you know, it's very, I don't want to say easy, but like a coffee stout is you know, you, there's a lot of great coffee stouts out there, but there's not a lot of coffee sours. Uh, and, and we mm. wanted to keep pushing the boundaries of, of adjunct sours and, and, you know, these pastry sours. And that's kind of the genesis of, of what Waffle House is. It's kind of a, continue, not, uh, a continuation of those sort of pastry sours, which we wanted to kind of make um, somewhat of a series, like how they're kind of that diner style look to the can and, you know, the, you know, the complexity of flavours. I mean, for me, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a huge fan of this beer. Uh, adjunct sours are really hard for me. It's kind of like the equivalent of watching Requiem for a Dream. Hey, I can appreciate the complexity. I can appreciate how interesting and different this is. Is this the bit that you so, said going to get you in shit. strike at work? Yeah. Well, no, yeah, exactly. Well, so I can appreciate how, how, um, how, how awesome it is and how complex and how interesting it is. But yeah, like Requiem for a Dream, I'm not coming back to rewatch. It's, it's a tough one. <laughs> Uh, I know Tyson, you just said you loved it, but yeah, man, I'm a simple man. Give me, give me a, an IPA. It's going to you know, blow my head off. You said there that there's not many coffee sours out there. Um, could you name another couple that people might like to go and have a crack at if they like the style? Because Oof. few whiz, I don't know. I don't know of another one, to be honest. Um, Tyson, <laughs> I don't think I know any others. I had one from, um, I think I had one from Omnipolo a while ago. Um, and I remember having... I don't know one from another Scandinavian brewery, but I can't, it's, it's so long ago now. It, they're just not super common. I mean, mm. you just don't, I mean, I've had coffee IPAs, but you just don't get coffee sours. And again, this is a really awesome beer. And it's really enjoyable, but this is only the second time I've had it. Uh, I just find it, it it's, it's such a, it's, and as you said, Dave, um, it just changes with each ship. And as it warms up, the new flavors and complexities come out of it. Uh, it is, it's a really interesting beer. Um, yeah. Like Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> Mm. I mean, look, continually throughout all the beers we've been tasting tonight, people in the Zoom room have been asking about the technique and what do you add when, and particularly with fruit and things like that. And we've held back that sort of question, you know, really specifically until this one, because there's so many complex flavours. Don't give away all your secrets, but is it a complex sort of brewing process? Are you adding different things almost every other day or is it a bit more simple once you know what you're doing? Um, yeah, a bit of both, really. Like once we've been through the process before with our, um, you know, with our pastry stouts, um, it's all it's a similar technique um, for adding the coffee and adding the vanilla, adding fruit is um, you know similar to our other sour beers we've done before. But um, it is the timing of it and um, the actual practicality of a lot of the additions is hard. So, yeah. yeah, I'll start with the, the blue. waffles. <laughs> yeah, no, waff, no actual waffles in this one, which is, which is, yeah. They, they couldn't have said the, the Waffle Lovers Association won't, you know, get onto us for, for <laughs> you 
and poor little waffles. So that's a, that's good to know. Yeah, so had yeah, was, those flavours coming through then? Yeah, after, after toasting the, the uh, 100 kilos or 80 kilos of pretzels, I was yeah glad that no apples <laughs> coming into this one. But um, yeah, if we start with the blueberry, um, we get most of our fruit in big barrels, uh, 200 litre drums, and we we can just so brewing processes wise as it's uh, as it's up onto the tail end of fermentation, we'll hook up our um, pump and we'll pump from the barrel straight into the tank. Um, obviously cautious that we don't get oxygen ingress throughout that whole process, but we pretty much just pump the whole, however many liters we put in. So um, usually base it on drums. So one or two drums, 200 or 400 liters, and then let that re-ferment again. Um, so once it's already reached the final gravity, it'll go through another fermentation on the fruit and, you know, raise the temp, do the acid arrest whenever you need to. And then um, that's pretty much it for the fruit. It's We've been doing it pretty regularly now. And um, yeah, we're definitely glad that we're not kind of sitting up the top of the tank with the little 10 liter bags or whatever we used to do pouring them in. So yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite easy now that we've got that process down pat. Um, moving on to the, the coffee, uh, also pretty easy. It's, it's mostly the, the actual, I guess, tips on using the coffee is just to get it freshly roasted, um, which is obviously not, uh, it's super suitable, suitable for home brewers and whatnot, but obviously the guys at Prodigal are awesome for us. And, you know, Chris kind of goes in and tastes whatever, the different varieties of coffee and tries to match them up with what his vision for the beer is. So for this one, uh, I, I probably would have assumed that he was aiming for a more fruity kind of South American variety of coffee, but he's kind of shot for more a nutty, cre creamy, like textural type to kind of balance against the fruitiness of the, of the sour and of the blueberry. Um, and so that they, they deliver the coffee freshly roasted and all packaged up, pretty much just put it in sanitized bags, put it in the bright tank and yeah, kind of shoot our beer on over and let it sit until it's tasting pretty, pretty coffee infused. Absolutely. Warren is one of our coffee experts in the room and, you know, he's happily noddling, nodding there. But, uh, you know, the coffee, the, the sour makes sense. Like, I, I think, the sour makes sense for me because because coffee ten coffee is sour. Like my experience, especially more recently, is coffee's a sour drink. I I drink black and a lot of filters, and it kind of makes yeah. sense in that respect. Um, but yeah, I can totally understand people wanting a stout. Like uh, the coffee, milk, yeah, totally. Like a latte, a cappuccino, yeah, totally. But, but I like the acid. How much of that acid's due to the blueberries? Like how much does that push up the pH? Um, I would say very little. Yeah. Um, most of the, the sourness from our sours is yeah, developed during kettle souring from the lactobacillus. Um, and yeah, the fruit's just kind of, you know, if you use mango or passion fruit, it, it, there are different acidity levels that it brings to it. But overall, I wouldn't say it makes a huge, huge impact on our, on our beers. Um, mostly because they're already quite at that at a similar pH to the the, the fruits that we are mm -hmm. adding. 
Um, with the exception of, I think ch the cherry we used was quite high uh, compar comparatively to other fruits. So it kind of broadened up a little bit. That's a good call. So as a home brewer, if I'm going to do a, if I'm going to attempt to sour, I'm going to add a fruit adjunct, try to, try to get them both at a similar pH before when you integrate them, would they help? Is that a, is that a thing you'd do? I suppose. Um, I would, I would say don't worry about it in a sense that when you're adding the, the, the fruit in, it's such a small amount compared to the actual actual volume of beer that the pH should not, shouldn't shift too much. Because once it is down at a low pH of say 3.2, it takes quite a lot of high, higher pH liquid to bring it back up. Um, so usually the fruit kind of, it doesn't affect it too much. Uh, I might bring it up from like 3.2 to say 3.3, 3.4. But in that sense, it's kind of balancing it out to where that fruit flavor is usually perceived. Um, so, yeah, it kind of, yeah, makes you think more of that fruit as opposed to more of sour beer, which is kind of what we're going for in, in heavily fruited sours anyway. Cool. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I guess we touched on this one a little bit before, but in terms of sort of, you know, the whether you're using little test batches and small groups, I mean, this is an amazingly complex beer. I understand you probably didn't put this through a test system. Do you lie awake at night, if not worrying, at least wondering what flavours are going to come out of this? Or are you just so confident now? You know, in my time as a home brewer, you know, I would never have felt confident with this many different flavours coming through. Well, um... We definitely like as much as we don't do pilot batches, we will test out different ingredients, uh, say on a super small level, say a liter. We'll pull off a liter of beer in a similar style and add. So speaking to the pretzel beer that we did the other day, we'd um, pull off a liter of our normal oatmeal stout and add some toasted pretzels to it at whatever kind of ratio we're thinking. Uh, test that and then kind of adjust on the on the fly, whether yeah, we right. think that will scale up very well. Um, on this, on this beer specifically, we've used kind of most of the ingredients before on previous beers, like vanilla, lactose, um, coffee, and fruit. We haven't used blueberry before, but kind of we have a gauge on how much will. Um, you know, contribute to the beer. And obviously the, the melding of all those flavors in the end is kind of a guessing game, but uh, yeah, we kind of, I guess we just look back at other beers and try and learn from them and then put that into what we think will meld well together. And luckily on this, I think it did. So that's good. <laughs> um, Max, who no longer has his mullet, which makes me very confused as to whether I should take him more seriously or less seriously, uh, asks a really sensible question, which is, how do the hops represent themselves in this beer? And um, I guess we often ask a question, you know, in the room, you know, about, you know, when does a beer stop being a beer and become a, yeah. an alcoholic drink? <laughs> um, how do you feel about that question? And in particular, this one, can, oh. can you feel the hops coming through in this one? And, and how would you explain to people tasting it? How uh, they themselves? I would say definitely not. I can't taste the hops. Um, and I uh, had the exact same thought when we were canning this beer. And, you know, we've set the first few runs through and I'm tasting it and it's, 
I think it's delicious and I've just looked at it and I'm like, that is a delicious drink. I don't know whether it's beer, but it's, it's absolutely delicious. And um, I, I don't know, it's, it's what people are looking for when they're not uh, drinking a, yeah, a lager or an IPA or a stout. It's, it's something different, but made from beer ingredients. And yeah, we, we do add hops and it's made from a base of barley and wheat and obviously classifies as a beer, but is something totally kind of pushing the boundaries of what is perceived as beer. So we were thinking that maybe Morgan would lose his job tonight over comments that he'd make on the podcast. Um, <laughs> how do you think the organisation would feel about you saying that? I mean, are you, is it part of the whole shtick of Mr Banks that you don't worry about whether something's classified in a certain beer classification or even almost as a beer or... You know, is that something that's important to you guys as an organisation to, to make sure that it's, you know, it is a proper IPA or something like that? Um, no, I mean, I don't think we work. I mean, certainly we work the styles, but we don't. I remember the last time we actually entered beers into the AIBAs, we entered them all. I think it was like two of them, which was a couple of years ago. We entered them into the wrong sub, like wrong categories inadvertently like all the feedback we got was like oh really nice all this you know you nail all these things but should have been in this category so yeah which was kind of speaks to that you know we just make beers to the style we make beers to style but like we do them the way we we would like them to be made and what we think will people will like and what we think is is more interesting what is, is interesting so, I fully back that just for the record. I think you're absolutely right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, it's kind of like it's like positions in basketball. You know, they're not a thing in the NBA anymore. <laughs> it's all fluid. But uh, you know, no, and I think your job as well. Oh, good reference. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we, we we like you know, an IPA is still an IPA, but and you can go east coast, west coast, hazy, however you want to pronounce it. And we, I mean, with our with our hazy IPAs. We tend to, if you see DDH IPA on a can of ours, just expect it's going to have haze to it. It's going to be, you know, it's going to have that thick mouth feel. That's just kind of, we try to, you know, we, we make things, we make IPAs to the way we think they, we think our style is or how they should be made. And that's kind of how we, we work it. With that said, you know, if we're making a West Coast IPA, we want to make it clear, we'll make it that way. So, you know, I don't think we have to marry ourselves to certain styles, um, you know, not, I mean, maybe, maybe it's different for other, other breweries or, you know, or people, people, other, the way other people kind of expect it to be, but you know, that's just the way we like to do it at least. Um, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant. Does it come off arrogant, Tice? No. <laughs> no, we just, no it's, it's our art, man. We just do it our way. You wouldn't be the first, you wouldn't be the first brewery to say that on this show. I don't think. Mm. I think everyone pretty much they're into their own jam. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, you could still categorize. I mean, this is essentially a, a an ad. This is a fruited sour, but it, it's a little more complex than that. It's an adjunct sour. You know, they still have categories. They're just probably a little maybe outside of that. And you know, we just like to we like to brew interesting beers, exciting beers, and different beers. It's you know for of a, a multiple multitude of reasons. I've got chunky bits in my. Waffle House. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. Is that okay? Are you guys okay with that? Uh, we, we try to avoid it. I don't have chunky bits at all in mine. No, I don't have any chunky bits in mine. I, okay. we, I mean, we, I mean, we're like. Hold on, let me see if I can get it in the camera <laughs> for the people at home. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah. touch oh, yeah. it, yeah. 
Yeah, it's something that, for, like, for our processes at the brewery, it's it's something we definitely try and avoid as much as possible, especially with our um, hazy IPAs and fruited sours. But um, in the end, without quite expensive equipment and um, or maybe like two months of time in the tank after it's ready, then it's, it's kind of unavoidable unless, um, yeah, it's kind of unavoidable unless you're checking every can. Um, it, it comes with the unfiltered um, kind of tagline, I guess. But. Hmm. Did you have a second question, Warren? No, that was it. Yeah. Okay. No, no, like I don't mind. I, I've, I'm like, I'm, I'm asking. I'm a dude who produces like a crusty wine. I can <laughs> hardly. I can a crusty hardly wine. A crusty wine. What? what can you mean? imagine? Like, oh yeah, I've got, I've got, I, I've, I produce a wine that is is cloudy as fuck and has massive chunks down the bottom, but you can't produce a beer, which is effectively. Uh, a grain alternative to what I'm doing with the same thing. Um, no, no, totally. And, and uh, on that, I feel like we need to move on to... Uh, yep, yep, our, yep. Good <laughs> and I think, feel like this is a you thing, David. Um, oh, yes. Yes, call yes, yes. question. It, it is. And thank you for making that point, Travis. We have a very traditional call room question. The podcast is called The Call Room and we love to hear about people's most interesting things they've ever seen in a call room. Uh, it could be bizarre, it could be funny, or it could just be something around a brewery as well, one of those moments where something exploded, uh, you know, something went wrong or was at least vaguely amusing. Um, Morgan, you strike me as a kind of bloke who might have seen a cool room or two. I've seen a lot of cool rooms, Dave, and I'm glad you went to me first. Um... <laughs> well, no, you, you didn't have the look of terror in your face that Tyson did. So I thought... No, I, I've got some exciting cool rooms. I've got a, I've got a few cool room stories. Can I can I can I have two? Can I go two? Absolutely. Yes, you can. All right. Well, so one's liquor related, one's non-liquor related. So I my first ever job, which is partly what led me to craft beer, I worked at a Richie's IGA for people who are not in the I guess the eastern states, but Richie's is just a part of IGA, it's just a larger franchise. So I worked in a store and I, I started off in produce before I moved to liquor. And I remember coming in one Sunday morning to open at 6am, the produce department of Richie's IGA uh, in Mount Eliza. And um, our cool room had been acting up and it just, yeah, so it just, it just had been just running a bit hot. And so the store itself was about to be renovated. So everything was falling apart. I got in at six in the morning and I opened, I opened the cool room door and just got hit with this Arctic blast. I'm like, Oh Jesus Christ. What was that? The whole thing had run. The outdoor, outside uh, temperature gauge said like five degrees. Initially, I was like, oh, shit, that's not good. I was 16. Opened the thing. Arctic blast. Walked in. It, all the fruit and veg had frozen over. The thing had just had, had run super cold overnight. It was like, and I got in there, got the temperature gun. It was negative eight degrees. All the lettuces, everything were like stones. Um needless to say, it was a disappointing day for the community because there was no fruit and veg in town. It had all frozen over. Um, the thing about freezing over is I always found was that the hard things like fruits survived, lettuces and stuff. Once you've had a frozen lettuce, oh, it's gone. It's uh, pretty. It's pretty gross. It's pretty slimy. So that was pretty much the result of that. 
the more exciting story was same same supermarket, but I got moved to the liquor department when I was about nineteen, and um, we had we had a pretty small call room. We used to drag pallets in there, and we used to. This is back going back two thousand eleven. So, let's say say the peak of Bogues Bogues Premium. Did you remember? Did you mention which Richie's? Sorry to Richie's Manalizer. Oh, Manalizer. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, catch up, Warren. <laughs> yeah, no, I just uh, it just occurred to me. I don't know which one. But hello, hello. Manalizer people, <laughs> with all your Mercedes. Yes, yeah, so I don't live in Manalizer anymore. I live I live a couple of suburbs south. <laughs> but uh, I yeah. Anyway, so we um, I, I worked in a liquor store when I was about nineteen, and I'll never forget this day because it's still yeah, it is tattooed in my mind. We uh, me and another casual were we were unloading a pallet of Bogues Premium. And the, in the island of the cool room was Carlton Draft, Carlton Dry, you know, all the big sellers in a little pile. Anyway, we had dragged the pallet in. Anyway, Ben, who I was working with, this casual, he was throwing the slabs of Bogues Premium bottles over the top of these this stack of beer to me. Anyway, we got in a bit of a rhythm. We're throwing, he's throwing them over, I'm catching them, I'm putting in the stack, catch, put in the stack. Anyway, I've caught, you guys know when you have a slab of bottles and the ends of it are kind of like, you know, they, where they fold over, there's a little gap where the, the box hmm. folds over. I caught it by that. The thing just ripped clean. All the bottles fell out and smashed all over the ground. Like just smashed. I got hit. I got hit by like three or four bottle caps. Hit me in the face, pants, shirt, saturated in beer. Um, and that was just. I was like, oh Jesus Christ! But that didn't stop Ben. He was still in a rhythm. So he launched another slab of Bugs <laughs> Premium, hit me clean in the neck, and sent me flying into a pile of Tui's gold. Holy <laughs> hell! And that one, I mean, we didn't lose all that slab there, but that, by the time he'd react, he was just going so quickly. It hit me so hard. Holy shit, that hurt. <laughs> I, liked, I liked that you remember which slab you hit. Yeah, I agree. It's a two-inch That cool room layout is tattooed in my mind. <laughs> but I'll never forget the, hitting the tattoo the to his goal because luckily for me, the old blokes had been ripping the boxes open. They were told not to, but they'd been ripping them open, open and buying single cans. So I had a nice soft landing of a, of about four or five open to his gold blocks that weren't sealed up. They were soft because their cans have been taken out. That's my cool room stories. There's a couple of rippers there. Um, before we go over and uh, ask Tyson for his, if, Top there's, that, Tyson. Anyone the, um, if there's anyone in the uh, Zoom room with us who'd like to ask a question in maybe 10 minutes' time after we've got into the DDH off the top rope, uh, now's your time to start to type those things into the chat and that way we can start to allocate questions. But um, Tyson, you look like a very clean cut, nice young man, but something must have happened to you in a cool room somewhere along the way. I don't know. I'm, I'm struggling to, to think of any, really. Um, trying yeah, to stay out of there as much as I can, to be honest. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a cool room story. It can be a, uh, a, a keg explosion or a uh, issue with brewing of the beer or... Oh. No, I'm coming up blank. I'm sorry, guys. Oh, we, very boring this, answer, but yeah. this, this could be a first, David. But he also might, he might be employee of the month. I'd like to. <laughs> anyone who's been around the you know brewing industry for more than three months who hasn't blown something up or been involved in a disaster of some kind, you, know, you want you want to get onto them. No, no, Tyson's no, a good no, operator. Nothing blowing up at the moment, so that's good. <laughs> that's good. That's yeah. <laughs> Well, I reckon that's a good opportune moment for us to gently segue over into the off the top rope. So let's make sure that everyone has one of those in front of them. We do. 
And we've got a couple of good questions in the Zoom room as well. And I probably, I should have asked a couple of them along the way as well. So while we get ready for, for the off the top rope, um, for anyone who hasn't been in the Zoom room with us live, there's just a lot of comments around uh, what word is worse out of moist and crusty. For that reason, I'm finding it hard to find the really relevant, sensible questions <laughs> people have asked on the way. So my apologies to everyone who's typed a really great question of which there's been a couple. I just keep on seeing things that I find deeply, deeply disturbing. Um, <laughs> I do. So I think we'll probably keep this in the podcast. I do like the people in the Zoom room that put a Q dot before their question in the chat, which mm. helps us differentiate between the crazy Collingwood moist comments and the actual questions related to beer. Do you reckon that means you won't accidentally ask their questions and take them away from them this week, Travis? Well, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> well, Trent's question's probably the most. You go with Trent's question then. No, let's ask Trent. Oh, okay. Hang on. I'm all over the place like a mad woman's cactus. Like a what? Uh, I, I feel like maybe, David, I've got this one sorted. Trent, ask your question when we unmute you. There we go. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, just, I suppose, differentiating a bit from beer-specific questions. Um, how's Mr. Banks changed uh, in brewing and business approach since uh, COVID's hit? Um, I'm, I'm fairly local to you guys, so your van's been in my driveway a fair bit over the last uh, last few months. <laughs> I've been in the tap room a few months, but yeah, interested to see how you guys have changed. Um, I mean, COVID, it's a pretty unique beast. <laughs> it's kind of uh, touched all of us in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, certainly we were, from a wholesale perspective, we were probably in a, a pretty unique position. Well, maybe not unique, but... We're in a, a decent position in terms of we predominantly were a, a pack beer, you know, brewery anyway. So we had that, which is part of why we invested in that canning line early because we we sold a lot of, you know, beer in cans. That was kind of our look. And you might, you know, based, you know, based on the money we put into our, you know, designer and, and what we try and do with our, our, you know, limited release beers, we focus, the focus was always on that. So when this hit and everything had to be shuffled away from on-premise, you know, you speak to a lot of breweries that were, that, that had huge revenue based on kegs and on-premise sales. We were not really that. Our large, the biggest customer we had for kegs was actually ourselves. You know, our tap room knocked through mostly most of our kegs. That's not to say we didn't, you know, service bars or try and sell kegs at all. We definitely did, but you know, pack beer was definitely the focus. So making that adjustment, which every brewery's had to do in these, you know, this whole COVID situation, we were able to react quite quickly. So we didn't have a massive keg fleet out in trade or a huge amount of kegs that we committed to in terms of volume. And, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier in terms of uh, in terms of keeping the beer really fresh. We'd always really focus. So every time we did a batch of XBA, IPA, or whatever core range or whatever beer it is, we basically, t as, as close as we possibly could, tried to tailor the volumes to pack to keg. So as demand we saw shrinking as we kind of came in and things were getting a bit, you know, a bit sketchy, we were able to sort of reduce what the keg volume we had pretty early on. Um, and so we adjusted to it quite quickly. So in terms of wholesale, we're actually volume wise, 
up significantly. We're selling more pack beer and, and more volume of beer than we have ever before. Um, and, and maybe that's due to the fact that we are pack focused and pretty much only people can drink pack beer and we make a lot of pack beer. So it sort of suited us in that respect. But on the other hand, our tap room um, is just a huge part of the business and a huge part of the identity of what we are. So losing that has been really difficult from a lot of perspectives culturally, because we've you know lost a lot of employees that were associated with that. Um, and then financially, because, you know, it's a, a huge, that tap room generates a lot of profit for us to reinvest into the brewery and reinvest in staff. And, you know, we, and we, now we don't have that. Um, and then lastly, not having that tap room, it's kind of the identity of the place. It's like, you come to Mr. Banks brewery, there's 14 taps, you know, you can have a pills and you can have a lager, but you can have, you know, cake eater, all these different beers are available. And we just don't have that. So that's kind of been a bit of a triple hit you know, we're not in any danger of shutting down. In fact, we're in a great position. In some ways it's helped kind of, you know, fast track us and, far, and, and and what I see in some ways it's helped fast track the market and for some ways of bringing out a higher rotation of product and people willing to experiment more and some breweries that might not have crossed into doing things like, you know, some more interesting beers are willing to do that now to help generate sales. As, like it's like the free market to generate sales, but also they've now experimented in that. And, and I think as a result, we're seeing, you know, a lot of interesting beers coming out from a lot of different breweries, not just, you know, a, a handful. It's, it's everyone's trying their hand at different things. So yeah, I guess it, it you know, everyone's adapted in certain ways for us. It wasn't a massive, it, it was a massive change because we lost the tap room, but not a massive change because wholesale wise, which, you know, me, I look after all of our sales in terms of moving beer into interstate and then, and then locally to Victoria, um, you know, it's been busier because there's a lot of beer going out, but um yeah, I mean, it's it's more about focusing your pack and focusing what you can control. So I hope that sort of answers answers the question. Yeah, so I suppose you um you guys will be looking for some more tanks once the uh, tap room opens up, given how busy that place normally is. <laughs> yeah, we've actually we've actually got some new tanks on the way. So we've ordered a couple more, and hopefully they'll be there sort of uh, December January. Hopefully, um, as we want to keep continuing to expand slowly, um, we've never wanted to commit it to massive, massive volume. We, we want to be small. We want to be, we, what we do now, we like what we do and we want to make sure we can control that. So keep making awesome, interesting beers like Waffle House and keep making really tasty, hazy beers like uh, Off the Top Rope. Cheers. Uh, we've got a whole heap of questions, but I know Kieran in particular has one that is very, very relevant to the beer that we're just finishing off, which I thought we would get him to ask before we uh, move on to the, uh, to the next and final beer. Hopefully, Kieran, I've unmuted you and um, ask you a question about caffeination, brother. Or leave me with some yeah, Now I'm unmuted. Um, I, was, I was just interested, there's a lot of breweries putting coffee beans into beer and it um, adds caffeination to beers. And I was interested to know if you've ever considered using decaf coffee beans to have the flavour without the caffeine to allow more people to be able to drink these beers in the evening. Um, I know recently we've been um, working pretty closely with the Prodigal Coffee Roasting um, just to try out some coffee and, you know, get, get to know their their product and also like cold brew and whatnot. And they've also got some, some decaf coffee that we've tried and thought was pretty, you know, pretty shit hot. So I, I definitely think there's, there's room for that in the future. Um, yeah, great question. Cause of course, when we're putting coffee into beer, it's, 
you know, it's fully caffeinated, what, whatever you think a normal coffee would be. But um, definitely recently on the market, there's been decaf coffee that's been up there with um, flavor and especially for beer, the contribution that it could add would be great. So yeah, great suggestion. <laughs> I've got to say that for me, like, I love this beer, but I'm only going to drink half of it at this time of night just so I can have a decent night's sleep. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Now, we're about to embark on the fourth and final of our beers, and we'll keep things moving along by opening up the Off the Top Rope, which for people like me who have spent far too much of their lives watching wrestling has a particular meaning. Um, Morgan, I feel like you might be the one to answer the, uh, the initial question of why are you calling a beer Off the Top Rope? Uh, this is inspired by one macho man, Randy Savage. Um, Macho Man Randy Savage. David, you would know Macho Man Randy Savage, surely, being a wrestling aficionado. <laughs> um, I mean, it was it, like, like a lot of the beer names we come up with, they're a bit of fun. I mean, this one came from, like, it was a bit of a joke from a friend. And, <laughs> and, and you know, I, I, I kind of feel like I'm not going to mention the, the full story because it's not worth it. But um, it was a mention for it was just an idea. We're like, oh, we'll call it off the top rope. This sounds really cool. You know, it's a good reference. And then the can design itself, when you look at it, if you go on, if you go on Google and go Google Images, go Randy Savage, Macho Man Randy Savage, you'll see an outfit that's basically the color scheme that we've we've used. Um, and that's kind of what off the top rope is. So, like, you know, the name necessarily doesn't maybe reference that particular style of beer, um, which is a you know, it's a DDH IPA. And as I alluded to earlier. DDH IPA for us generally means it's going to be a hazy IPA or it's going to have a bit of haze to it, a bit of body to it. Um, in terms of the, the process, I'm probably best to leave this to Tyus. He understands the, um, the process because there was a bit of a unique um, element to how we produce this beer. Um, Tyus? So I guess, Tyus, even before you jump in there, mate. Sorry, mate. You, you've gone to all of these efforts, Tyson, to make some great flavours and make an amazing beer. And then um, the marketing team just want to whack a buddy wrestling thing on the front of it and make a bit of fun of it. How do you feel about that after you've put all your effort into the artistry behind the scenes? Pretty used to it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> a brilliant answer. Oh, yeah. Man. Uh, no, I don't, don't mind it at all, man. It's, um, yeah, no. Kind of funny, weird names are all, all the rage. So, um, you know, it adds to a bit of bit of fun around the beer as opposed to making it, you know, a bit too serious. So I'm, I'm all for it, to be honest. It's a very polite and diplomatic answer. <laughs> Tell us about these special techniques that got those flavours in there. Um, so pretty much the one, um, the one special technique. We, we used a, a hot product called Incognito Hops, which is something that I'd never heard of before, before yeah. I arrived at our brewery. But... Um, it's pretty much a hop concentrate. So they've taken the citra hop in this case, and instead of, um, you know, there's like palletized hops and cryo hops where they kind of condense the, uh, the oils and the hops further down. Um, and then this is just like an, a super concentrated version of that, which they've uh, liquefied. And I think the aim, the aim of it was to be able to provide a product which takes less shipping uh, costs and less shipping space, especially for American hops to come over to Australia. And also when you add it to the kettle or to, yeah, to the kettle pretty much at Whirlpool or 
maybe you're using it as a bittering addition, it uh, doesn't impact your yield as much because it is is obviously not hot vegetable matter anymore. It's um, liquefied. But yeah, so we added that um, as a kind of something to try out with our new releases. And yeah, kind of came across it at the start as quite dank and quite resinous, but it's mellowed out a little bit more since it's been in can and yeah, quite quite happy with the results. I'm not sure whether we've ordered any more um, at this point, but I think they, they make specific hop variety, um, uh, hop variety specific concentrates of incognito. So we might be getting some mosaic or something like that later on. It'll it'll get this particular. I mean, the incognito. It's not the first time it'll it'll appear. It's the first time we've used it, but it's going to get another spin again. So it clearly just makes some awesome flavors coming through there. So mm. citra again, um, Dave. It's all about the citra. We love citra. Mm. No, and I love that sort of theme running through the whole discussion. That's that's <laughs> excellent work. Um, we've got some great, uh, as ever, questions from the Zoom room. And as Travis said earlier on, part of the great thing about being in the room with us on a Thursday night is you get to ask your questions directly. I'm going to talk for two or three seconds while I unmute Daniel. And we've got a few questions here, I guess, just sort of about the overall theme of the brewery and so forth. And Daniel, you've got a ripper to kick off with. So, far away, brother. Hey, yeah. Um, so... My question is basically on like what led to the theme of the brewery. Did you guys have mentioned how you've got like less bitter styles with like themes that are like styles that are normally more brute as uh, bitter? What separate Mr. Banks from even like the more common styles? What leads you guys to like having different styles to other breweries? Like you guys have had your common styles that you've added now over time to your standard brews why have you added those when you've got these more like kind of outlandish brews to your less common styles um i guess it, i mean we're pretty we're i guess it's a this is going to be a very long-winded answer daniel good thing i love the sound of my voice um yeah. <laughs> Like we're we're pretty small team, so Tyson and I, we're there's there's four of us in the sort of I guess the overall sort of wholesale and, and larger brew team. It's me, Chris, Tyson, and, and and Taylor. So there's four of us, which is a really small team, and and like we're in a lot of like we're 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 trying to get our beer out as much as we can, but because we're small, it gives us the advantage of being able to be maneuverable uh, and, and change our style based on trends or based on what people are looking for. But, you know, and, and that's a part of the decisions we make. Like, oh, so what, what, what are people looking for? What, is, what, do, what do you, the consumer, the drinker, what, the, what does a beer drinker, drinker look for? So that helps influence our decision. But, you know, we try to just kind of go with what people are looking for, but also what we like. Because we think it's a, it's a self-sustaining economy, the craft beer industry, because while you people, while everyone, the consumers, people here, we buy craft beer, man, I look, dude, you should see my, my fridge. My girlfriend is livid at the amount of craft beer that is in my fr in the fridge. Um, there's too much. I, today I bought five garage project beers. I'm losing my goddamn mind. I'm spending all my money. The mortgage is going down the drain. Um, but like, we're just trying to brew beers that are interesting and exciting for people to, to want to drink and, and engage with. So, you know, a part of why we swing back to some other styles, like, you know, Lager Life, which is a Municalis. I mean, 
we're seeing that some drinkers kind of want to swing back to Municalis beers. We want to drink, you know, Hellas lagers or interesting like or very clean, easy drinking lagers. Same thing. We've got um, we got a couple of more. We got a couple of West Coast IPAs planned in in the future, you know, because we're seeing that styles emerging. And also, we're kind of like we were talking about the the other day, like last Monday night, well, last Monday afternoon. We we're talking about doing a an IPA, a West Coast IPA. Do we make it a double IPA? No, let's make it a like a seven percent IPA, like a real nice clean West Coast IPA. You know, that's you know that's what kind of what I drink, and that's kind of what I'm hearing out there. It's a this is I've been a ask Max to ask his question now, which follows on really sensibly from that. Mm. And then um, we might get another response from both of you and Tyson as well. But Max, your question follows on beautifully from that. Yeah, indeed. Um, I guess the uh, question um, for the brewers, you guys, I guess, got super popular making very specific kind of beers that you really nailed, like the really super juicy, super dank, um, super hoppy kind of IPAs and stuff. When you go into making something that's quite different to that, like making a sour or making a, a lager, where do you get your kind of, um, I guess, technically, how do you go about sort of figuring out how to make that well? Like if you're, if you've been, you know, spending 18 months, two years making one particular style of beer and now you want to make something completely different, um, how do you guys kind of go about learning or understanding how to do that style well? Sure. Um, definitely a good question. Um, on the like from the outside, it does seem like most of our interest is in hazy beers and hot forward beers. But between uh, the three brewers, you know, we're we're constantly researching um, other styles and constantly drinking other styles. So, um, you know, we've all got our preferences in different areas and kind of as we're drinking different beers for, for you know since the last two years of being there. I'll come in with a beer, I, uh, a beer that I had on the weekend and say, this was really delicious. And Chris will be like, oh, not my style, but what did you think of it? Or, you know, what's the, um, what's the premise behind that type of beer? And same with Chris, he'll come in, Taylor the same. Um, and we'll kind of just, it's, it's a constant uh, evolution behind the scenes, I guess, of beer drinking, where we're all kind of very obsessed with beer. Um, outside of hazy IPAs and pastry stouts and sour beer. So when it comes to actually creating the recipes, um, Chris is very um, in touch with kind of a lot of the bigger breweries overseas uh, just through research or, you know, podcasts and um, getting in touch with other breweries in Australia to see what kind of techniques they use as well or even if they have some hints about, you know, Things like just mash thickness and what 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 do you guys do for for a lager? How do you go about it? And then we'll just try it out. And a craft beer JG, and we've probably got room for one more question from the room. My apologies if I've missed one. Type your questions into the chat bit now. We'll do one more, and then we'll probably close things off in terms of recording. Um. Yeah. Sorry, now, good evening, guys. Good evening, Morgan. Good evening, Tyson. Hey, Jay. Um, Morgan, you know who I am. I know who you are. <laughs> um, <laughs> just a question. Room, craft beer, JG. Just a question that um, I don't think has ever come up before. Have you guys thought about doing a barrel aging program for stouts or sours? Yeah, yeah, sure. We've got um, we've got a couple of barrels going at the moment. So it was one thing that definitely popped up in the last few months when um, you know our stouts started 
going well. We were happy with how they looked, how they were turning out, and we saw other breweries as well releasing epic barrel aged stouts. Um, for me, that was Hop Nation's Clash was incredible. So it definitely um, inspired us to kind of look look at how to start it up. So yeah, we've got we've got six barrels sitting there um, with some dark beer in it at the moment, and it's yeah we tasted it the other week and we were super stoked with it. Um, and then any kind of plans from here on? Um, not so much that I know of, but yeah, definitely on the cards. We're, Could that be a relaxed version too? <laughs> um, we're, I think we're debating on whether to add adjuncts to it after it's coming out of barrel, but yeah, um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tyson. Thanks, mate. Um, any other, we've probably got room for one more question for the, for the crowd, and then I'm going to throw to Travis to wrap things up. But obviously enough, as ever on a Thursday night, people can sit around and have a yarn when we turn the record button off. That's when some of the best conversations happen. And um, hopefully people pick up on the queue and come and join us. We've still got over 50 people in the room with us, I think. Oh, that would seem there's no more questions, David. No, no one's going to ask a last question. Anyone else? Well, what, what kind of styles and things have you not done that you really want to get out there and try? Because as a groundbreaking sort of, you know, crossover brewing brand, what, what's on the cards that we haven't had yet? Morgs. <laughs> Guys, don't throw me in the deep end here. Uh, <laughs> Straight into it. We gave you two hours to warm up. Jesus. Yeah, but this wasn't on the list. <laughs> what are you doing? We do like to throw those those curveballs in every now and again, Morgan. So sandbagging us. Is that what you, is that what is that what the game is? <laughs> um uh, look, I, I don't I, that's a that's a really hard answer. Sorry, question to answer. Not answer to question. Um I, look, I, I'm not sure. I mean, as I said earlier, I mean we're we just kind of keep moving, you know, we keep evolving and keep changing what we want to do and what we want to brew and that's a t- you know that's kind of a part of what what we are and, and i think that's kind of why we want to stay small that we want to be able to keep changing and, and and brewing you know different things and exciting things so you know i don't think there's anything specific that we want to move into um jay kind of mentioned about the moving into the barrel program we're looking at that and we've got some we've got some beer in barrels now and we're talking about doing some stuff more stuff down the line but that's it's all down the line so it's all small i mean in the short term you know we're going to keep making some hazy beers a lot of IPAs, a lot of different lagers, a lot of different stuff. You know, I won't, uh, I could, I could reveal some stuff, but I won't reveal it on the podcast. Um, wait till post questions. <laughs> um, so no, no, nothing specific. Just we'll, uh, we'll take it as it comes more or less. We kind of work on like a six to eight week schedule. So it's not room for maneuvering. Crofty in our zoom room keeps bringing up the fact that he asked a question about salsas. Is that, uh, something that's on the cards for you guys? No, uh, Seltzers. Um, oh, Come look, on. it's not really on the... Say it. It, look, it, say it. Say it. Seltzers. <laughs> Is that what you wanted? Is that what you wanted, Travis? Seltzers? Can we expect to see a barrel-aged sour uh, pastry seltzer anytime soon? <laughs> a pastry sour barrel-aged seltzer. Coffee, have you lost your goddamn mind? Um, no. <laughs> Serious questions only. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) 
no, no, no. I, I, I mean, if Celta specifically, no, we don't have any plans just yet. Maybe down the line, who knows? You know, we'll just see. But um, yeah, no, uh, a barrel aged Celta's def. No, there's probably not going to be a barrel aged Celta in the short term. Let's just say that. <laughs> Celta, Celta. I apologise, I got it wrong. <laughs> One, I, I know we said we weren't going to ask any more questions, but um, Force King King has asked a great one about nitro because I can just imagine some of your beers working beautifully with some of the nitro stuff. Um, any thoughts on that front? Um, we do some nitro stuff out of the tap room, but we don't have much capacity. I shouldn't. I, I shouldn't. I, again, I have no involvement in production tasks. We don't really uh, nitro. The nitro putting beers on nitro is not. We don't have the full capacity for that at the moment. No, we don't have the tap for for nitro on the canning line at the moment. So, would you like to have that? One day, mm. maybe. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, it, again, we um we've done nitro beers in the before. We we nitroed off um uh, we did a milk stout a little while ago, which was all nitro, nitro and cakes. Um, they sold. You know, they were. It was a tough sell. It was a lot, <laughs> selling selling a lot of nitro milk stout at four percent is a tough sell. Let's just say that. Um, but we sold them all. Um, so yeah, maybe down the line. I mean, it's it's one of those things. I guess getting back to evolving and changing. Yeah, we'll definitely look at it down the line. But right now, short term, no. And it depends on the, what nitro product you want to make. So. And on that, I think uh, that's a good. Uh indication to wrap things up uh as david mentioned earlier for those that are in the zoom room you can hang around and have a chat afterwards guys what are your social medias uh we are at mr banks brewing or at mr banks beer rather on instagram um facebook you can find us just search mr banks you'll you'll come across us that's pretty much the we don't have a we don't have a twitter we don't believe in it we believe twitter is the tool of the devil uh, so we don't use that. Um, uh, Dan, th- th- we could go into a whole other discussion mm. now. Like, so no, we're not doing devil worship again. <laughs> no, Dave said we wouldn't do that. He promised me that we wouldn't get into that. One so. night without that. <laughs> One night only. Um, so for all the, li- the listeners out there that aren't in the Zoom room tonight, make sure you like check out the guys on Facebook, not on Twitter. <laughs> Uh, and, and then, and then, you know, if you if you have a beer of ours, check it in on Untapped. It's always a good way to get a bit of feedback about what we're doing, what we're brewing, because we're always interested to know um, to what people think about our beers. Because we want to know. We, we 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 like honestly, we actually we look, we check things because we want to know if people are enjoying it. Because we're always looking to evolve and change and keep making new and interesting stuff. So, the people that drink our beers is kind of we make them for you guys. So please let us know what you think. Appreciate it. Perfect. Perfect. That's, uh, yeah, very, very good. We are going to wrap things up there now and uh, everyone in the Zoom room can hang around and have a chat afterwards. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. It's, it's been a good night. So. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Great.